0: start the the message, is that there's a lot of great movies on at 12 o'clock at night, and uh, I was flipping through the channels trying to find something to stay awake, and this may, you know, shock you, but I came upon a Western, and I was like, oh, I haven't seen this forever. It's Kevin Costner and Robert Duvall, two of my favorite actors. The movie's called Open Range, and I won't get into the movie. It's a good movie, but they they almost ruined the movie by putting this romantic subplot into it. I don't know why they have to do that with the westerns. Um, just you know horse and a gun, that's all you need. But they have this uh this this young lady and then she and and Kevin Costner's character they become enamored with each other and they realize that they're in love and and I'm spoiling the movie for you but it's been out since um 2003 so if you haven't seen it it's your fault and I don't feel guilty about it at all. Um at the end of the movie uh Costner's character is ready to ride off. He's gotten married to the girl of his dream. He's ready to ride off with the cattle, and then he's coming back. And she rides out to say goodbye one last time um, before he leaves. And, and so there, you know, and he's, he's not awkward with this. He doesn't know how to quite do this. And he goes, now, look, I need you to head back. And she wasn't going. He goes, no, I need you to head back. I don't want you to lose sight of the rooftops. He was worried about her, and she wasn't going. And finally, exasperated, he just goes, how's this ever going to work out if you don't do what I tell you to do? Now, Kim and I saw this movie together relatively early in our our married life, and I looked at her, and I'm like, exactly. That's it right there. And after 26 years, I realized that uh, I just need to do what she tells me to do. And we get along a lot easier, but that's kind of a theme of what we're going to talk about today is overwhelming trust, overwhelming love, overwhelming care, and it's need to be followed by the letter. And we're coming off this shutdown um, of COVID. I lost track. What has it been, a year and a half, two years we've been dealing with this shenanigans? All right, so... In that time, everybody's wanted to get back to normal. That, that is a phrase. I just want things to get back to normal, like for our kids, for everything. But the question that I have been asking a lot lately is, you know, I know we want to get back to normal, but have did we ever really know what normal was supposed to look like? Now, normal that I'm talking about is the relationship that we have with God the way he intended it to be. And there is a big difference between wanting the way things used to be and wanting how they're supposed to be. And we need to worry about and look today about how the source, and that's where we come about this thing we call Advent and we call this season, that we're waiting. And the thing is, is that a lot of times we jump into the Advent season or Christmas, and, and we look at Luke, and we look at the Gospels, and we will. But we have to realize that in the context of God's story, Advent has been the plan from the very beginning. You realize the very first mention of Christmas that we have in the Bible shows up three chapters in. ...to the book of Genesis. Start there. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more... Verse 1 of Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty... ...than any of the wild animals... ...the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... ...did God really say you must not eat... ...from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent... ...we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden... But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. probably know this story. You probably could have told me and paraphrased that. Well, here's the thing you've got to look at is this serpent has been inhabited by Satan. I don't think the serpent started off as Satan because it was a created object or created being that God created and God wasn't going to be able to create that he would he would never create Satan. but i think satan did and we've seen that where he's taken in uh occupancy of animals or people so satan comes in and he said I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the serpent the other thing about the serpent is probably probably not what we recognize as snakes today the serpent it's probably a lot less intimidating easy to get along if i see a snake there's not, i'm not i don't want to talk to I would be totally freaked out if it talked. I'm not around there long enough to see if it talked. I'm gone. All right? Spiders, got no problem with. Snakes, I'm out. So the serpent, I think, probably looks a little different than what we think of as a snake. And I'll get into that a little later. It's a little. But here's the thing what Satan does. Satan's first attack on us is always going to be around the Word of God did God really say that? I mean, think about the temptation that Jesus faces from Satan early in his ministry. All of it was basically based on, well, your word says, or your father says, Satan goes after him with with scripture because that's how he works. And what happens is, the reason that, that Satan comes at us in that first wave attack around the word of God is that he is counting... On our ignorance, and they'll be mad. Or what well, we don't know, we don't know what we don't know. He's counting on that. He's counting on our ignorance. He's also counting on our arrogance—that we think we know better and we can handle this. And our defiance. He's counting on the fact that we simply don't want to do what God has told us to do. And that's kind of a default thing for all of us, our fallen state. We don't know that we're fallen, that we think we can handle it, think we're bigger, we're stronger than we are, and we simply don't want to be told what to do. Now, look at this for a second. And I want you to have Bibles out to look at it. In that, that verse, if we go back earlier, chapter 2, I think it is, God tells Adam, he says, look, um, you can eat of any tree... And any fruit of any herb in the in the garden, except the tree of knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil. God gives that tree a name. Now, think about this for a second. What did God assign Adam and Eve to do when they got in the garden? Name plants and animals. Where they came up with duckbell platypus, I have no idea, but they did, right? There's one thing that didn't need to be named. And that was this tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And I think the reason it is is because all the other trees, all the other places where they got fruit and vegetables sprung forth from the ground, sprung forth from seeds of their own. But this tree, God God created and said, no, there's, there's no seed here. This is just my creation. So don't eat from it. Whatever the reason is. Maybe God didn't want us to carry the burden of knowing all that he knew. Maybe he realized that we couldn't handle it. Maybe we realized that we would be tempted and seduced by it, and we would leverage it. I don't know. But here's the thing that I do realize is that God gave that tree a specific name. God said that name to Adam. And we get to Eve in chapter 3, and Eve doesn't know the name of the tree look at it, that we can't eat the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, that tree. Well, here's the first mistake she makes. All of a sudden, when it doesn't have the name that God had given it, it becomes like everything else, and you don't take it. you You don't reverence. There's no reverence. There's no worship for it. She goes, that tree in the middle. She just knew the location, and that still trickles on to us today. There are too many of us that know just enough about God and God's love and his want for a relationship and what God wants us to do. We know just enough about God to be deceived. And that's why there is this need for discipleship to grow. It is not enough to worship, and worship is amazing. It is not enough to mission. Mission is amazing. You must grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You do that together. I love the way we're sitting now because you do that. In tables, you do that where you're face-to-face, and you share stories. But discipleship is crucial, and it's lacking, it's missing in all churches. And here's the other thing that Eve did. Eve not only did not know the name of the tree, but she added to God's man. You go back in Genesis 2, God never says, don't touch that tree. He just says, don't eat fruit from it. He doesn't say anything about touching it. Now, in studying this week, came across some uh, Jewish rabbis and teachers and scholars, and, and one of the thoughts in, Jude, in the, the Jewish faith is that Eve is standing next, and she's standing right next to that tree in the middle, and the serpent is, is there. And she's like, well, we can't, can't eat from this tree, because if we touch it, we will sur- surely die. And and I'm, the, the the Jewish rabbis and the, the Jewish tradition says that the serpent, hearing that, just gently nudges Eve, so she falls up against the tree, so he could look at her and go like, you ain't dead. You didn't die. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I just thought that was a... That's why I walked away from the platform, because it's not in my notes. <laughs> you know, that's just something I threw in there to fill time. But for whatever it is, Eve says, you can't eat from this tree, and if you touch it, you'll die. She added to God's command because God did not say that to Adam. So we should just blame Eve, right? I think Eve gets all the blame for the Garden of Eden, and I think it's wrong. Adam failed Eve. Because Adam did not clearly communicate exactly what God had said to him about that tree. That's just This is just me, but look. I've been there where I'm frustrated and, and I don't really want to have time. Just do what I say, you know. It's the anti cowboy where I'm like, just do it, right? And I think sometimes he's walking around and say, well, I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to name all the birds tomorrow and I got you know build shelter and now I've got you here with me and and look here's the rules of the place. Uh, you can eat from anywhere. Don't eat from this tree and don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Don't touch it or it'll kill you. You ever, ever over exaggerated something to somebody? right? <laughs> like me and the girls? Don't kiss boys. Why? Well, because they're disease riddled. Your lips will fall off and uh, it'll look terrible in the pictures. I well, know, it's true. Dad said. You, know, you do that. So I think Adam gets frustrated with Eve and just goes, Yeah, this. This one in the middle, don't eat from it. Just don't even touch it. I think Adam failed Eve. And I I think that's what happens to us, and we we run that risk. of when we see someone that we love, someone that we know, that's living a a life that is separating them from God and pulling them farther and farther, slowly, incrementally from God, and we don't say anything because we don't want to we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to ruffle feathers. We're coming off the week of a prime example of that. Anybody, anybody in here go to a, a family dinner, and you just knew that there were certain things that you shouldn't discuss? Right? You just knew you didn't break them. You, God bless you people. I'm the exact polar opposite. I'm the guy that walks in and goes, Hey, let's talk about this. Just a you know, The thing is, is that if we love someone and and we don't tell them specifically, then we are at fault. If we can't tell them with love, if we can't be bothered with telling them that, look, this lifestyle, this way of action, this way of thought is pulling you away from God. It's almost like we can't be bothered by it. And I think that this is what happened with Eve. That Adam just didn't do a really good job of telling her. Now look, granted, what Adam told her was better than saying nothing at all. But when Adam didn't explain fully and made sure that that Eve understood, he created a vulnerable place where she was at that Satan Could attack. And that's what happens when we don't address sin in a loving way. We don't build relationships where we have that right to say that. We are putting people in a vulnerable position for Satan to attack. And that's where Eve was. She didn't know what she didn't know. She thought she knew better than she did. And she didn't realize it, but she was disobeying God's command. And I think some of that comes from, we. what is, what is it, the fear of missing out? F-O-M-O, I think what so it is. You know, I, we live now in an age of acronyms. I think acronyms is the word I'm looking for. And I'm old and I'm not hip. And so my kids will do this all the time. And I'm like, what are you saying? What, what are you saying? Like yesterday, we were watching the IU-Purdue football game. I have now just like to proudly announce I now have three daughters who will be attending Indiana University as Becca was accepted this week um, so I'm thinking that I at least I'm going to get a broom closet or a fountain drinking fountain named after me with all the money that I put in I, I'm not I don't want a big ceremony I' like a little plaque so they're all watching the football game and they're all enamored with the and they like the football players and uh, you know they, they they have some that are cute and they and and the IU football team is L E O, that's their big thing, and it means love each other, isn't that great? Isn't that awesome. I'm watching them play Purdue, and my daughters are sitting there going like, "Leo, just love each other." And it's like, just tackle somebody. You got to be by four touchdowns. Just I don't care if you lo- like them, don't love them. So we have that, we have rolling on the floor laughing, we have fear of missing out, and I think we have this inherent thing that somehow we are missing out on something. You know, the Garden of Eden, it's incredible, it's perfection, and it's everything that we ever wanted, and in the middle of the garden is one tree that we can't have anything to do with, and what is the one thing that knocks us out of the garden? That one thing that we weren't supposed to have anything to do with. We had 99.99% of everything that God had to offer, but all we wanted was that one tree. When Kate was uh, about eight or nine, I was doing some youth ministry work. We were at a youth camp in uh, Lake Forest, Mississippi. And, And Lake Forest, Mississippi, I don't know if you've ever been to Lake Forest, Mississippi. It's in the middle of nowhere, and everything is bigger there. Like, they had wasps, I'm not kidding, they're this big. I don't know if they were the murder wasps, but they were this big, right? And they hung around mud puddles. And Mary-Kate was infatuated with this mud puddle. See if she could jump it, see if you walk it. You know why? Because her mom and I had said, don't go near that mud puddle. And that's all she needed. You know, if we would have said, go near the mud puddle just jump headfirst into the mud puddle. She wouldn't want anything to do with it because mom and dad, they're not that bright. But we said, stay away from And She goes, oh, that mud puddle must be special. Well, guess who else liked the mud puddle? The mutant wasp. They hung around the mud puddle. So one day, she comes up crying. She's got two big welts on her arm. She's got muddy feet. Dad, 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 dad. What? Dad, I got stung. I got stung. Just looked at her and said, did, did you jump in the puddle? Yes. The puddle I told you not to jump in? Yes. You're dumb enough to get stung then. Go. Now, Kim was right there. So it's like good cop, bad cop. I got to be the bad cop. Then Kim's like, come here. Let's check your arm and all this. But that's that, I was just like, look, I told you. And that's what we do. There's the one thing that we're not supposed to, it's like this shiny object that we just get driven to. We want more because we fear not having all. And we don't realize that we already have all through what God has blessed us with. We fear being empty. And when we fear that we are empty, like we're not moving along far enough in our relationships, our business, our our bank accounts, we begin to doubt that God is enough. That what he has promised and what he's provided is enough for us. And so we begin to look for other stuff. And when we look for other stuff, we do a thing. We add to what God has commanded so that we can take it to our advantage. Not God's glory. So this is what Eve does. because, yeah, we can't eat from it. And if we touch it, we will die. Because she didn't know any better. She added to what God commanded. And Satan just, I don't know if he had hands yet as a serpent, but he like, I got her. And he says this in verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Because he knew. He knew God's word. That's the one thing. Is, is that's why he uses it. And that's why you shouldn't negotiate with the devil. Because he knows God's word better than you. He knew what God had commanded. And he said, you will not certainly die. And that's when he leveraged it to his benefit in verse 5. He says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And this is where we fell. And this is where we fall. That phrase, be like God. In all of us, there is a default of our fall that wants to be our own little God. And then the thing is, though, the moment that we begin the possibility of being like God, we find ourselves separated from God, because there's only room for one God, and if you're trying to be it, you're separating yourself from the one who is. So here's the story. Eve takes a bite, then Adam takes a bite, and their eyes are opened. And they realized their nakedness. They've been naked the whole time. My grandfather used to say, said they were naked. And they weren't worried about it. Then they disobeyed God, and they went from being naked to naked. Naked is innocent. Naked means you're up to something. And this is what they did, and they saw that, and they had shame, and they had guilt. And so they're like, we can't be naked. So they made clothes for themselves, and then they hid, which is what we do. Now, there's a popular saying, I've seen it on pens and coffee mugs and all that around this time of year, that says, Jesus is the reason for the season. And I think that's cute, and God bless your heart, it's wrong. Jesus is not the reason for the season. The reason for the season is our sinfulness and our falling and our separation from God. Jesus is the answer to the reason for the season. So here's Adam and Eve, eyes are open, they see everything and they can't handle it or they get enticed by it and they want to control it and they realize they're apart from God and they realize that they're vulnerable and naked and what God created is beauty. Now there's other thoughts that play into it and so they put clothes on and they hide from God and the verse, probably for me, some of the saddest verses in all of scripture Verse 8, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I want you to picture this. When it started in the garden, it was the routine to turn the corner and there's God. Hey, Adam, how you doing? I'm doing great, God. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. There's this beautiful picture that that God's just walking in the garden in the cool of the evening looking for his creation who he created to be in relationship with who now is nowhere to be seen and hiding. That's how it was supposed to be. That's the normal that we're supposed to know. A relationship with God where it's nothing. It's like going to J.C. down the street and you turn the corner and there's God. And you have this conversation with him going on walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the lord god among the trees of the garden but the lord god called to them where are you now do you think god didn't see <laughs> you think Adam was really lost i think the question was for adam not for god where are you adam what's up because I think the question was meant to arouse Adam's sense of being lost. Because right now they're just afraid and they're hiding. They don't realize they're lost because they think they have some semblance of control. So he says, Where are you? And it it it, it piques Adam to think, man, maybe I'm lost. And he asks that question, where are you? to lead Adam to confess his sin. And he asks that question, where are you to express his sorrow, God's sorrow over man's lost and fallen condition? And he asked that question, where are you, to show that he seeks after what is lost. The result of the fall was the loss of the relationship with God that God had intended for us to have all along. What God had created in his own image was now hiding from him. And I want to take a minute and just look at how God came to Adam. I mean, he had one rule. He hadn't seen those things like he had one job, you know. He had one rule. Run the whole place. Just don't mess with this tree. The way God came to Adam and Eve is a model of how he comes to us and to those who are lost and how he's done it ever since. He came to them patiently. He waited for the cool of the evening. You know, my my parenting failed there's a whole chapter of the times where I knee-jerk reactioned something, and I just jumped into it right away, and not taking the time to wait. You know, the word says that, that God is slow to anger. We see that here. I mean, that had been me. I mean, you had one rule, Eve. You had one rule. But he waited. He waited to the cool of the evening. He waited until things had settled down a little bit. I had a, of pastor friend and say, this was porch sitting time. And he just kind of ambles up and he waits. And he, he came to them with care. He didn't want them out in the wilderness, hiding in the middle of the, the night, in the darkness of night. And he came to them personally. He addresses Adam and Eve directly. Where are you, Adam? He came to them with truth, showing them that their lost condition was real where are you? God obviously knew, like we said, where they were, but he also knew that there is now a, a chasm between him and his creation. There was a distance. And it was a distance that God himself would have to bridge because he knew that we didn't have what it takes to do it. Now, you read through this chapter, the chapters on your own. This the next section a little bit on your own. Um, it, it talks about he asked Adam, he asked Eve, he asked them questions. He has a dialogue with them. Won't you? It's what you do when you have a relationship with somebody. You have a dialogue with them. Then he gets to the, the serpent, and he doesn't ask Satan a single question. <laughs> One, he didn't care about his answers. Two, he knew he'd be lying. And it said, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, the first part of the curse is directed at the animal that Satan used to bring the temptation. So there's been talked that, that before this, the serpent was a lot more elegant and a lot, a lot more appealing and a lot more approachable, possibly walked upright. And, and at this point, God said, you know what, you were gullible enough to be taken over by saying, here's your punishment. No legs for you. You'll crawl on their belly. You'll eat dust all your life. But the second part of the curse is directed at Satan himself. And God places a natural animosity between Satan and mankind. When it talks about enmity, enmity has the idea of ill will or hatred, a mutual antagonism. You just don't like them. Satan already hated us. And now God was just saying, and from now on, Satan's just going to be hated by us. We hating back. And God prophesizes the doom of Satan, showing that the first real battle is between Satan and the seed of woman, as other translations will say. And this is a prophecy of Jesus' ultimate defeat of Satan. And here's where Christmas comes into the Bible, three chapters in. He said, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now think about this for a second. The heel is the part that's within the serpent's reach because the serpent is always going to be on its belly. Satan, you are always going to be crawling around in the dust. You can't come. Look, look. <clears throat> we get worked up and we see all these movies where Satan brings all these demons. And I'm not I'm not picking a fight with a demon or anything like that. But we, the demons are always big and gnarly and smell like sulfur and they're real scary. I'm not saying he doesn't do that. I'm just saying he's not that... He's, he's lazy. So he'll, 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 instead of coming at you full-on face-to-face, he strikes at your heel. How can I get you to trip up a little bit? You ever Look, dads dads with kids, uh, middle of the night, Christmas is coming. The first thing that all you dads with small kids need to put on your list is slippers. You need to have slippers, and you need to get used to wearing slippers all the time. The first word of advice that my father-in-law gave me When when I brought my first daughter home was buy slippers. I'm like, thanks, that's deep. Thank you very much for sharing that. That's awesome. Um, And I said the man makes no sense. And then Kate grew up a little bit and she got Polly Pockets and she got Barbies. Have you ever look? The moment you step barefooted on a Barbie shoe in the middle of the night, you know what you will say? I need a pair of slippers. Because that hurts, right? Or a Lego. You got boys. So you step on a Lego, that hurts. And that, that hurt can make you stumble. It can make you lose direction. It can make you lose momentum. And this is how Satan comes at us. He doesn't need to trip us up. He just needs to nip at us so we trip ourselves up. And God knows this. He goes, this is how you're going to work from here on out. You're going to try to trip us up. So he does something wonderful. He brings Jesus to us in the form that we take, walking on the same ground that the snake slithers on, and the inevitability that Jesus is healed is struck by Satan, and it is, but it didn't kill him. It didn't destroy him. See, God is saying right here in the third chapter, this is how I'm going to win this. The seed of woman. And, and the, reason, you know, the thing is, that right there gives us the first hint and the first look at the idea of the virgin birth. Declaring the Messiah, the Deliverer, would be the seed of the woman. It doesn't say the seed of the woman and the man, the seed of the woman. And it's like it's God cannot wait to announce his plan of salvation. You ever, ever start reading a book, and are anybody like this in here, where you jump to the last chapter of the last few pages and then go back to the beginning? I think this is where we get it from. Because God's like three chapters into his book, and he goes, let me tell you how this is going to end. Because <laughs> I'm so excited about this. And what that tells us is there was never a moment where God goes, Wow, I don't know what to do now. Eve ate the fruit she wasn't supposed to. He knew she was going to. This was the plan all along. He couldn't wait to announce his plan of salvation. And for God to give us this in chapter 3 needs to transfer itself to our trust in him, that he knows what he's doing and he's good, what he says he will do, and we can trust and believe him that we know that God knew what he was doing all along. So God's plan wasn't defeated when Adam and Eve sinned because God's plan was to bring something greater out of their sin. God's plan was always to have the Garden of Eden be a temporary look at what will be. And he brings us through that. And God wanted more than just an innocent creation he wanted more than just innocent man his plan was to bring forth a redeemed man because i think god had something he wanted to tell satan as well you can make him fall but only i can rise him up he wanted to redeem them and a redeemed man is this being who is greater than an innocent man, is only possible because man had something to be redeemed from. We have something to be redeemed from. God's plan was Jesus. That's Advent. (coughs) So God's response to Adam and Eve, it's not judgment. It's hope. It's waiting for a season like this. It's Advent. He promises a future Savior who will come, and crush the head of the serpent, and be the means that reconciles us to God. He promises hope. He promises restoration. He promises redemption. He promises us Jesus, who went from being God with us in the garden to being Emmanuel, God with us. Promise Christmas, promise Advent, and so we wait. We live as believers in the now, in between the now and the not yet. Christ has come, but Christ is coming again, and we live with that hope. Hope that made sense. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the way that you love us. Continue to, to keep us faithful in our waiting for you, and Lord, to watch for you. Lord, uh, let us learn from all these things, but more than anything, to walk away, I hope, if if nothing else, we walk away today with the realization that you had this planned all the way, from the very beginning, from the first start, to the last amen, you have this planned. Let that be the catalyst that we use to trust you, to do what you tell us to do. So that we can get things back to the way they were always supposed to be, us in relationship with you. It's in your name we pray these things.